All right, good morning. So, uh, Glenn is in Atlanta today. I spoke with him this morning. Uh, if you're new here or visiting, Glenn is one of our elders, and uh, God called him, I guess, beginning of last year, end of, end of 2018, to do church planning and re- reconciliation. So he's in Atlanta this morning meeting with a group of people that are um, felt a call by God to, um, to start a church. And so he's over there with them this morning. He's been there all week, and this morning he said that things were going really, really well. Um, and so just continue to pray for them this week, um, that, that God would just do what he needs to do in that, in that body of people and that he would help them to, um, to have the right start as they begin to plant that church. So last week, Glenn was here and, and he shared with us uh, the things that, that kind of he's been working on for the last year. In particular, he talked about Romania and the church plants there and what's God, what God is doing. And he referenced a story um, that if you're, if you're anything like the people that are in my life group, immediately they said, i gotta, I got to dig into this and figure out what's going on with this. So last week, our life group talked about this person, Jephthah. I don't know if you've read that story or not before. It's out of Judges 10 and 11. Um, you may have seen on Facebook, and hopefully you had an opportunity to watch, Russ did a really good video on that story of Jephthah. Because in that story, we see that here's this man of God, or so we're led to believe, who is about to um, be used by God to deliver God's people from their enemies. And so before that happens, he prays this prayer and he asks God, he says, God, if you will give my enemies over to me, in other words, if you will let me win, then I will sacrifice the first thing that leaves the door of my home. And as you read that story, you see that when he comes home, the first thing that leaves is his daughter. And so the story goes on and, and he ends up killing his daughter. Now we know because we know God that he does not want or does, you know, he has no desire for human sacrifice, right? And so you look at that story and you go, what is going on here? Something has happened. And Russ does a really good job of breaking that down. I'm not, we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. But I really would encourage you to go, to go listen to Russ's video. It's on our Facebook page. Um, or if you're on YouTube, you can search for Meek Manuscripts and it'll be on there as well. But go watch that. It's, he does a really good job of breaking that down. But I thought that today, I wanted to just kind of bring that forth because it's going to... It, for me, it's a beautiful tie-in to what God is doing in this book of First John. If you, if you haven't been here as part of this series, what's going on is we're studying the book of First John. And today we're going to look at chapter 4. And John is writing this letter to a church who's had a group of men who have decided for whatever reason that Jesus was not the Son of God. And he's trying to sway the church and, and to make them believe also that Jesus was not the Messiah. And so John is writing this letter for a couple of reasons. One is to encourage the church. The things that they believe, the things that they know are things that are true. And he gives them uh, a test, if you will, to, to figure out when someone is sharing something with you to figure out if it's the truth or if it's deception. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at chapter 4 and dig into that a little bit. But I, I felt like that story of Jephthah was a great way for us to, to approach this passage of Scripture because what we see happening in the life of Jephthah is something has happened in order to alter the way that not only he, but his family and his community understand God to be. There's something wrong there. And so this same thing is happening. So let's look today at 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. We'll dig into that a little bit and then we'll move forward. I wanted to share with you this morning this as well. This was in one of my devotions today. It was out of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 and it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were created to live a lifestyle of good works. So today as we talk, I want you to remember, we're going 
we're going to look at a very positive aspect of what it means to be the body and then a very negative thing that can happen sometimes in the body. And I want us to approach that with this understanding that we were created in God's image for good works. Okay, So let's dig in this morning. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have, they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if, any, if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of of deception. So John lays out this problem. He's trying to answer a question. And the question is, how do we know when someone is speaking the truth? If you're a visitor here today, you don't know me. And so you might say to yourself, how do I know that Will is speaking the truth? And John gives us some ways to understand that. And, and at first glance, that the answer to that may, see, may seem simple. John says, if a person says that Jesus Christ came in a real body and that he's the Messiah, that person is speaking the truth. It appears simple and it appears straightforward, but consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Look at this with me, 7, 21 through 23. You can turn or it'll be on the screen. Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who breaks God's laws. So now it doesn't seem quite so straightforward. Here it seems that John is saying if someone just professes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came in a real body, they're speaking the truth. But here Jesus says that someone can say those and yet not know him. So how, and just as importantly, why is that even a thing? Why can that, those two things exist in the same time? How is it that a person can have all the appearances and the power of God and yet not know Jesus? Consider the things that these false disciples have been claiming to have done. They cast out demons, right? It says that they perform many miracles. They prophesied. That's not junior varsity stuff, right? Like that's, if, if there's a demon to be cast out, you want somebody who knows what they're doing, correct? Yes? If there is a demon to be cast out, you don't want somebody who just became a believer yesterday. You want somebody that's well seasoned. We need to understand that God-like activity does not equal godly activity. God-like activity does not equal godly activity. Take a moment with me and consider the culture here in the Bible Belt that we live in. 
We all know without a doubt that we've encountered these kinds of false disciples that Jesus is describing. Or maybe even we've been one ourselves. Someone who says all the right things, who appears to be a believer, but at some point they're going to die and they're going to stand before the king and he's going to say, I don't know you. And they're going to say, but God, I went to church and I taught Sunday school. I was there. I never missed. I had perfect attendance. I did all the right things. I lived the right kind of life. And Jesus is going to say, but I didn't know you. We are good at talking like professionals. We have perfected the Christian lingo, if you will, here in the South. It's very easy for us to fake what it means to know Jesus. And John is addressing a serious problem of these fake disciples that we experience in churches today here in the South. It's a problem that's prevalent. However, John's not just making us aware of it, but he's also giving us the tools to to see it, but also to deal with it. That when we see someone who is proclaiming that they know God, how do we really know? How do we know that it's God? Whenever I was in high school, I read this passage of Scripture out of 1 John chapter 4. And it changed my life. Up until I was about 16, 17 years old, I'd given my life to Christ when I was late elementary. I understood that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I believed that. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that He died on the cross for my sake. I had given my life to Him. But it was just here. It was just in my head. It had never made its way to my heart. I believed that I had faith that Jesus was my Savior. But there was something that was missing, and I didn't even know it was missing. And then one day, I was late in high school. I don't remember the, the exact time frame, but I'm reading Scripture, and a life was just breathed into me when I read about this relationship that we get to have with God. All of a sudden, God went from just being an idea in my head to being something tangible that I could touch, that I could feel, that I could experience. I could, I could look at this passage and see that God was something bigger than what I had imagined. It's something happening here. And it changed my life. This was the first time that it went from my head to my heart. That it affected the way I lived my daily life. Look with me at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-12. through 12. John goes on to say in this passage, he says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let me just pause for a minute and say that is a bold statement. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He goes on to say in verse 9, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into this world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God But if we love each other, God lives in us and His love is brought to full expression in us. Now if you've been around me for any amount of time and some of you have been around me for a large amount of your life, you've heard me quote the scripture many times before. This idea that that if God's love is in us, that it is brought to full expression, there is power in that. Scripture is saying that God is love and that if I'm abiding in that love... Everything that God is can be expressed through me. 
So John presents this problem to the church. He addresses it. And then he gives them this tool. He says, if you want to know if someone is a true disciple, which is how this chunk is labeled. If you want to know if someone's a true disciple, look at how they love. I read a statistic this week that 51% of the people in our culture believe that they're right with God because they prayed a prayer or walked an aisle or went through confirmation or whatever it is that their tradition calls that, that process. Think about what that means. If 51% of the people in our culture believe they're right with God because of some action that they did, think about the complications that causes for the church. More than half of the people that make up the culture that we live in are helping to shape what the church looks like and they don't know God. And that's not me saying that, that's Jesus saying that. 51%. At this moment, I know that all of us in this room can either identify as one of those people that at some point in our life we did not really know God even though we were active in leadership in some way in the church. Or at least we know someone who is in that category. And be, let me be clear, this is not about judgment. This is not me pointing fingers at someone and saying, shame on you, because I found myself in that camp for a long time. This is about knowing the truth. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. Which I think requires that we also consider where we stand personally. It would be a huge disservice for us to simply look at this passage and say, yes, those people, without allowing the Holy Spirit to reflect on us and say, what about me? Where do I stand? Am I part of that 51% that has proclaimed to know God, yet Jesus would look at me and say, but I don't know you. John is revealing some truth to the church that they have not yet experienced up until this point. The very fact that they are having this conversation is a result of what is happening in their body. Something has changed. As Russ explained in the video this week, and please go back and watch that, he he says that bad theology is a huge problem. And we see that in this story of Jephthah. He talked about how Jephthah and the culture there had accepted these um, culture... uh, I don't know how to say the right words, but the other gods, little g, their relationships was very transactional. If you do this, then I will do this. And Jephthah, not only he and his family, but also their community in which they lived, and we see that through the way the story plays out, had taken this other belief system and implanted it into their own, and it warped their understanding of who God was, and and to a point where Jephthah killed his daughter because of it. If we think about that transactional theology that affected Jephthah's life so much, if we consider it, if we look at it, we realize that we live that same kind of theology so often. We joke in our life group, um, I often make fun of myself because that's easy to do, but how many times in the middle of the night when a baby wouldn't go back to sleep, I was like, God, if you will just put this baby to sleep, I will do fill in the blank, right? If you have kids, you have been there. Because you are so desperate for something to work. But why do we do that? Why do I think that I can barter with God in order to gain what I want? This begs a big question. What's the solution? How do we get that out of us? 
John tells us in verse 7 and 8. Look at it with me again. He says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So how do we know that we, that when Jesus looks at us, He goes, I know you? How do we examine our lives? We look at how we love. We look at the way we treat one another. And I know what you may be thinking. You may be thinking, but Will, I know a lot of people in my life who are absolutely not believers and they love people. Like they are like probably more loving than some of the Christians that I know. Right? Let's talk about love for a minute. John is not talking about just any love. He's talking about the love of God that can only come from God. Look with me at John chapter 17, the book of John, the gospel of John. At Jesus' words, he's praying for the disciples. He says, I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. I'm going to read that again. I'm going to exchange the pronouns for proper nouns so you understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I have revealed God to them, and I will continue to do so. Then God's love for Jesus will be in them, and I will be in them. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that He has revealed God to them, and then He's going to continue to do that. And because He's revealed God, God's love is in them. It's not our love. It's God's love in us that makes the difference. Our love, the world's love, is not proof of God. God's love is proof of God. This is the mark of a true disciple is that God's love is in them. John continues to define in 1 John chapter 4 what that means uh, in verses 9 and 10. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 through 10. He says, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to, wait, to take away our sins. So what kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about God's love. A love that, that preempted our, even our lives. That before we were even born, God knew that we would sin. That we would separate ourselves from him by the choices that we make. And he said, it doesn't matter. I love you anyway. And I'm going to make a way that you can experience that love through my son. He did that first, before we were even born. Think about, think about for a minute how we as adults experience love, right? How does that happen? What's the first thing you do? You go on a date, right? Go on a date. You see somebody that you find attractive, you ask that person out. And in that moment, that first experience love is 100% conditional, right? The purpose of that date is to spend time with this person and see if they live up to the standard of what you think you want in a spouse or significant other, right? It's conditional. Because if you go on a date with a guy and he's a slob and doesn't pay and all the things that can go wrong, you know the things that can go wrong on a date. What are you, ladies, are you going to go out for a second date? No. Thank you. Thank you. Luke, you got a good one. Which means Luke's a good one. Just putting that out there. <laughs> okay. So we understand that concept, Right? Imagine if that's the way God treated us. And it's not hard to imagine 
Because that's how we live sometimes. We live as if God's looking at us and going, Luke, you're not really measuring up today, bro. Right? But that's not how God sees us. Scripture's clear. God looks at us, and as believers, even before we're believers, He looks at us and says, I love you. Right where you are. You don't have to change a thing. Let me just love you. Let me tell you about my son. And then we experience God's love, and it changes who we are. And we see that Jesus is the Son of God. And we say, I need you in my life. Please save me from my sin. And as we go through that process, God's love comes into us. And we experience that unconditional love. Think about if you're a married couple in here, if you've had a pregnancy, the moment that you find out that you're pregnant, that love is unconditional. Right? It doesn't, nothing matters. Like you don't wait till the baby's born and go, ten toes, I can love this one. It doesn't matter. That's unconditional love. But that's not the love that our world lives in, right? Uh, The world, culture, when someone does something wrong to you, it's not only okay, but it's expected that when someone wrongs you, that you walk away. You don't have to love that person. I'm not saying that's okay. I'm just pointing out that that's not God's love. And so when John is talking about love being in us, he's not talking about the world's love. He's not talking about conditional love. He's talking about unconditional love. John is defining the kind of love that we will experience by giving us the example of Jesus. God does not love us because we live up to a standard. In fact, He loves us because we don't live up to the standard or in spite of the fact that we don't live up to the standard. What would it look like if we started our relationships that way? What would it look like when we are made aware by the Holy Spirit that there is a person that we are to invest in? And instead of approaching that relationship like we do a lot of others in a conditional way, we say, God, you have highlighted this person in my life and I'm going to love them regardless of how they treat me. Think about how different it would be. If someone wrongs us, it's not okay. But we don't have the right as believers to just walk away. If God's pointed someone out to us, He has called us to them. And if the love of God is in us, they will experience that because we don't just stop because they were mean. You remember in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, Peter says, Lord, how many times are we to forgive? Seven? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Which if you're a math whiz, what's that, 490 times? That's ridiculous, right? It's ludicrous to give, forgive someone that many times. And that's the point. Jesus is saying, if you're going to love like I am, you always forgive. As many times as it takes. And so what would our church culture look like if we actually lived that way? If we didn't make our decisions based on what the world says is love, but based on what God says is love. Let's continue on, verse 11 through 12 in 1 John chapter 4. He says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And this is for me, this is where the fireworks happen. It says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and His love is brought to full expression in us. 
I had lunch this week with a guy that was in Bethany and I's very first youth group. He's had a hard life, but God's done a lot of work in him. And he's got a long way to go. But he's part of a church. He's really excited about it. And he's been through several Bible studies. And they've asked he and his fiance to lead one. And so he had lunch with me today, uh, th- this week, to ask me some questions. And one of those was, how do, he said, I, I always remember the, di- the dynamic of you and Bethany and how incredible it was for, for you guys to be in ministry together and the way you just worked and it was so good. And I thought, are you remembering the same thing I am? Well, let me just be clear, the problem was not with her. It was with me. Like doing stupid stuff, like she would look at me and I'd go, what? Because guys are good at that. Because we don't understand a lot of things. Right? So, but when he looked back, that's not what he remembered. And so I'm asking God, I'm like, God, I don't remember things the way that he remembers. I mean, I remember them being good, right? But let's be honest. I was 20 years old. I'm 36 now. I'm far from perfect. Can I get an amen? Okay? I'm far from perfect. And I know what I was like 16 years ago. And that's not anyone I want someone to try to replicate, right? I don't even want to be replicated now, much less 16 years ago. So I'm asking myself, I'm saying, God, what is it that he really remembers? What is it that changed between then and now? Or so I have perceived it to be. And then I got in the scripture this week and I went, oh, he wasn't remembering my faults. He was remembering the love of God that was expressed in that group of believers. Authentic relationships, universally, are something that we want, that we long for, we're programmed for it. And love is the currency of that. Love is what gives it value. If, if we didn't have the ability to love one another, relationships would be pointless. And God has given us this incredible gift He's given us the greatest value that any relationship could ever have, and it's His unconditional love. And so what do you want in your life? Do you want the world's definition of love? Or do you want God's definition of love? I know where I stand. I know what I've experienced. Listen, I told you this passage changed my life as a high school student because all of a sudden, this God that seemed untangible It was like he just walked into my life because all of a sudden I realized there are these men and women in my life who love me no matter how much I screw up. And I realized in that moment that what I was experiencing was not something of them, but that was God. It was God working in them. So what John's trying to help the church understand is if someone is in your life and they are speaking over you and you don't feel this love of God, you need to stop listening Because they are not my disciples. This is the proof of God. Read this passage with me. He goes on to say in verse 13 through 17. He says, And God has given His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all that who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, 
So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. It's not us. It's God in us. God's love in us is the proof of who God is. But that only happens when we allow God's love to be in us. When we make a decision to abide in his love. Listen, if we're still trying to operate under our own power and our own knowledge, we're just replicating more of the world. What God wants to show you, what He wants to show this church, what He wants to show the world is that He is real, He is alive, He is active, and that He is love like they've never known before. John goes on to say in verse 18 through 21, he said, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we were afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and it shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. John's saying, look, if you're afraid of what's to come, you don't know Jesus. And he's made himself available. He says, we love each other in verse 19 because he loved us first. This love, this godly love that we share with one another, it's not from us. We love that way because God loved us first. And if someone says, I love God, but he hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And then he ends this chapter with this phrase. He says, and he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. I was listening to a sermon this, this week. It's a really old sermon from J.D. Greer. And he used this example. He says that when you, the point he was making is that when you experience God's love, you cannot be the same. He said, imagine if uh, right before the service, the music gets done and I'm supposed to come up and there's about five minutes of awkwardness where everybody's looking around going, where's he at? And then he comes in and he's all disheveled. He's got dirt and grass in his hair and clothes are all messed up. And he goes, man, y'all. So sorry, I was on the way here, got a flat tire, I was changing it, one of the lug nuts rolled on the street, and I walked out to get it, and I looked up, and there comes an 18-wheeler, and it hit me. And he must not know what he hit, because he backed over me again and hit me a second time. But I'm okay, here I am. People would go, you're such a liar. There's no way an 18-wheeler can hit you at 75 miles an hour, and you walk away from it. You wouldn't walk the same, you wouldn't talk the same, you would not look the same. Right? But God's love is like that 18-wheeler. I don't know what you've experienced in my life, but when I experienced the love of God, everything changed. This this idea of God's love being made full, being brought to full expression in us, this changed my life and it changed my ministry. Because I realized that it's not up to me. The only part in this process I have is to simply abide in God and let Him do what he wants to do in my life. And the result of that is that a 20-year-old who knows nothing in youth ministry can change a kid's life just because he was there. That even in the middle of my mistakes, what this kid remembers is God's love. Y'all, that's good news. I've told you guys this before. I don't like... 
scary movies, okay? My wife is after me right now to go, what's Hansel and Gretel? Watch the preview? Not interested. Not at all. None. As a matter of fact, not only am I not interested, I'm not going. Okay? Made that very clear. If one of you likes scary movies, my wife would love to take you on a date to see a scary movie. I'm not going. Here's why. I don't like scary movies because they affect me. Like, okay, this is dumb, but this happened last night. Last night I was riding my bike. It's after dark. It's wintertime. There's no bugs in the winter, right? It's not supposed to be. How many of you, um, when you were growing up, this is when I was still in high school. Oh, shoot, what was the name of that movie? Oh, I'm not going to be able to remember it now. Uh, it doesn't matter. In, huh? No, but I don't know. That's not it. It doesn't matter. In this movie, it's a scary movie, but a cute girl asked me to go, and I was like, okay, because I was an idiot, right? I'm past it. I'm over it. So we watched this movie. And in this movie, it's a typical scary movie. This guy's driving down a dark road, and a head hits his windshield. And, okay, and I jumped. I saw signs with Bethany when we were dating. I almost broke her hand. It was terrible. I'm just not good at it, okay? On the way home from that scary movie, a big bug hits my windshield, and I almost ran off the road. Okay, that's what I mean by it affects me. Last night, I'm riding my bike. It's wintertime. not supposed to be any bugs. A moth flies in front of me, and I almost ran off the road again. I don't like it. It affects me. It changes me. Okay? There's a point to this. Listen, a lot of times we are afraid of following God, abiding in Him, because we know it's going to affect us. We know that if God's love is in us, and we allow Him to open our eyes to the world around us, we will have to change. So we started this book study, this short series in preparation for this, this book of Ecclesiastes that we're about to study. And I'm going to just tell you where we're headed. Scripture is very clear. If we are abiding in Him and His love is in us, it changes who we are. It changes our priorities. I think we often don't allow God to work in our lives because we know it's going to change us. It is impossible to go to Romania, to go to Honduras, to go outside of the walls of this building and really allow God to open our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our souls to the heartbreak that's around us and not be changed by it. But church, hear me. If we are God's people, if we are going to abide in Him, if we are going to allow His love to come to full expression in us, we have to let it affect us. It has to make it. It is impossible to see the hurt around us. Scripture says that, that, that when we see things and it breaks our heart, it's not our heart that's being broken. It's God's heart. And we see that being prayed for. We've prayed for that ourselves. God, let the things that break your heart break mine. We cannot go into the world, into the culture around us, and not feel broken if God is in us. Listen, our generation, boomers make fun of us a lot. I'll let you realize, Chris, that I said we. He gives me a hard time about that. Our generation gets a hard time because boomers say, oh, y'all just want to do something that matters. You're absolutely right. We do. It's important. What we do matters. I can tell you from experience, if you try to change this world 
with your own power, with your own money, with your own influence, you will fail. It's like trying to put, a fire, put out a fire with your spit. It will have zero effect. The only way we can make any difference is by following God's lead, allowing His love to be made perfect in us, and then going forth with that power, with the full expression of who God is and releasing that to the world and letting them get to experience it for themselves. Remember that Jesus told the disciples that they would do even greater things than He did. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's pretty powerful. The only way that happens is if we let go of the past. If we release dead religion, the false notions that we hold of what is good, and release the control of our lives and say, God, I'm right here. Use me how you will. And then let him do it. This is why this has always been one of my favorite verses. This whole idea that, that explaining to people who God is, the burden of that doesn't fall on me. God will prove himself through the way that we love one another if we will allow him to do that. I want to leave you with this thought and then we're going to pray. This is out of one of my devotions this morning. It said, in order to bear the fruit God intends... We must learn to allow the Spirit to work in us and through us. God not only transforms us as we spend time with Him and in His Word, but empowers us through the Holy Spirit to do good works we could never accomplish in our own strength. I'm reading this because God today is confirming this message. He goes on to say, It's only through God working in us that our weaknesses are turned into strengths so that we can truly love one another. And it's only through the Spirit that hearts are changed and drawn to our Heavenly Father. God longs to live, to give you His heart for people. He longs to empower you to speak and work with His authority. He longs to do works through you you that cannot be explained except by His reality. If you will choose to humble yourself before God and allow Him to work in you and through you, you will begin to bear the very fruit of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Let's pray. Father, we together today are asking that you would give us the courage and the strength to humble ourselves before you. Father, as your spirit is working in our hearts today, Lord, if there is anyone in this room who wonders if they are in that 51% that don't know you, God, I pray that you would give them the courage to speak to someone in their life group or one of our elders. God, that you would help them to know who you are. That you would show them the height and the depth of your love. God, as we move forward in the call that you have for us and the vision that you have for us, Father, I ask that it would be your leading that we follow. Not mine, not the elders, but you. God, this week, reveal yourself to us. Make your love so known to the people around us. Bring it to full expression. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.